don't give it like a the podcast platform of the finalist by Leopold Lambert. Today, feminism, participation, and crisis in architecture for more than a politics of civil craft. With me, Tiger. Hello everyone, today my guest is uh, Mimi Tiger, uh, who is a journalist, a critic, an editor and a creator um, uh, in, uh, in the architecture world and uh, she's also the co-president of the LA Forum for Architecture. Um, hello Mimi. Hello. <laughs> uh, maybe we could start the conversation uh, that I will introduce uh, right after by asking you what Um, what is your role as this uh, co-president of the LA Forum? What, are, what, are, what kind of problematic you are you encountering in this uh, in this role? Um, well, thank you. It's good to talk to you, and welcome <laughs> to you. LA. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm co-president of the LA Forum for Architecture and Urban Design with uh, co-president uh, Ella Hazard. This is the first time that the forum has had two presidents mm. at once and in a way it seems like a very good time for us to sort of do double duty um, because the question on our minds is you know in a city uh, like Los Angeles um, which is so broad in its scope and where the urban realm is much discussed um, there's you know all the different schools Los Angeles in Los Angeles like SciArc or UCLA or USC um, or even like the Mac Center or the Getty are all producing discourse in and around architecture and urbanism. So for an organization like ours, which was founded in the late 80s and has been a volunteer independent nonprofit ever since, um, we're asking ourselves, how do we reinsert ourselves back into the discourse? In fact, how do we make a discursive organization like what does it mean to talk about architecture because I think um, that is and also urban design or urbanism these sort of changing values of you know how we talk about the city um, because we're in a time where it the discourse is being so fragmented um, that you have architects who are very much interested in talking about architecture from sort of for formal capacities Um, from sort of technology. Um, and then you have, you know, urban design has transformed into urbanism, which is transformed into placemaking, which is transformed into um, sort of how do we make nice, nice cities. Um, and within those gaps, you know, how do you then insert design, architecture back into the conversation? I think this is what's been on our minds um, And how do you do it as, we're a group of volunteer board members who come from architecture, graphic design, um, urban planning. You know, how do we do it as, I hate to say professionals because it's not a professional organization, but how do we do it as people who are practitioners, I suppose, um, and make this a resonant dialogue and not necessarily an academic dialogue? Mm -hmm. um, okay. Um, so today we are going to talk about um, something relatively internal to the architectural world, which is like what what I 
what I would like to call the politics of simulacrum. Uh, but we're going to try to make it uh, uh, to be descriptive enough to also have a non-architects non uh, uh, interested in, in what we might be saying, uh, especially because some, a lot, of, a lot of, the, of those problematic can probably be found uh, in, in other disciplines. But um, uh, when we prepared this, um, this conversation, you sent me a, a few articles uh, uh, that you've wrote in the in the in the recent past, um, that all have in common that you're sort of unfolding uh, of of the of logics behind them and and them not being exactly what they claim to be and uh, what they claim to be being things like um, feminist or or uh, maybe. Uh, participative I mean a lot of a lot of things that we we are currently encountering but when you scratch a little bit you realize that it quite it, it might not be as as um, uh, politically strong than it than what it's claiming to be so so for example if we start with this idea of, of uh, feminism or or also also uh, problems of uh, race in architecture um, You'll tell me what you think uh, what you think about that, but I, I I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of publications or conference organized around, uh, and usually with title as like women in architecture, uh, women architects or uh, African American architects or, and you usually find the same few people that's been used uh, that has been used. Um, um, uh, without consulting them, obviously, <laughs> but that have been used as a, as a sort of uh, as a, as a sort of um, um, uh, I'm looking uh, alibi mm -hmm. uh, to, to 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 justify to 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 justify uh, a, a manifesto that claims to be, for example, feminist, but actually that might be quite the opposite because it seems to be the, the women in architecture thing doesn't doesn't seem to be so much a, a, a manifesto for feminist architecture, but rather a sort of subaltern uh, 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 box to put to put people in. So uh, I don't know. I mean, you you've been you've been writing uh, extensively about it. So could you could you maybe tell us more about that? I mean, I think the question of women in architecture or women representation in the arts is is so important because we've. You know, I've been immersed in this question for, you know, hate to say it, probably 20 years at this point. Um, when I was a graduate student at SciArc, I put together an exhibition with a, a group of friends of um, alum, alumnae of women graduates of SciArc. Mm -hmm. We called it Threads, Thresholds, Terrains. We didn't want to call it women alumni like that was the last thing we wanted to call it and um the importance of uh sort of treat this the, the of treating women separate is is so frustrating because it's not necessarily and i'm not being particularly articulate about this but it's um i for me it's all about audience um that i think it's 
important to celebrate women. Women have incredible contributions to architecture. But we've been having the same conversation with the same group of people, as you said. Um, not only the same people speaking or the same kinds of references, but the the same people listening. Mm. Um, and that that maybe is the reason that I've been, and I've taken some heat for this, um, been saying we can't just do all-woman events anymore. An all-woman panel doesn't make up for the fact that you have all these other panels that are either all men or have one you know, sort of token woman on it or one token African-American guy or one token Latin American guy. Like it's, it's, not, it's not enough. So um, we need to sort of break open this so that the audience is not excused. When you have an all-woman panel, the, the audience is generally all women. We've all heard this conversation before, but maybe if we make it a mixed panel where women and men are coming together, where you know people of all sorts of backgrounds and races can have you know a conversation, then then there are more listeners in the room, um, and the more listeners is when you can begin to affect change because those are the people who then go off and sort of make something else happen, and you know wherever they you know wherever they go, they go curate something. Um, or write something. The people who are the practitioners who are sort of being these um, examples of, of women in architecture, you have gotten there because they have worked very hard um, and they have you know, pursued ideas that are not just about their own gender. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so to then limit the conversation by saying, we just want you to talk about what you have in common um, in and around gender is to basically cut off, you know, 80% of, you know, what their work to date has been all about. Mm-hmm. And I suppose you, you just talked about both the audience and the speaker, but I suppose we can also talk about the, the content as well. And uh, when the content happens to be their, uh, a, a, a given architect's work, architectural work, there is also a tremendous, uh, and that that might be where I, I usually uh, look at in particular personally, is that uh, there's a tremendous consequences of, of, of gender within the architectural uh, creation itself. Uh, uh, and it's um, when the architects happens to be uh, a, a white male architects, there is automatisms that are that are um, exercising themselves that that ultimately will consider that the audience this architect is designing for is an audience that looks like him, and so so I think I think that's also that's also where uh, looking at how many how many women or how many African American or how many. Uh, Latin American uh, uh, um, architects might be speaking uh, to a given conference or be published within a, a book is extremely important, but that's that's not enough. Like that's not the only thing. That... It's not enough. I mean, I was asked to moderate a panel last year um, I, of icons of these women designers in Los Angeles. Um, some of them reach, reaching into their 80s um, who have been, you know, working here um, their whole lives, you know, 
from, from their from the 40s you know people who are in their 40s to people who were in their 80s and they were all women and when i brought up the subject of you know what what about this being a woman in design um they were bored by that question like that question didn't reflect sort of what their real commonalities were that um when we talked about California as a landscape, um, when we talked about sort of pro design processes of um, curiosity, of um, questions of light or effect or color or even pop culture, like the, the kind of commonalities between them, the level of the discourse that was able to be generated from those linkages, um, you know, sort of transcended the gender mm -hmm. issues. Now. Granted, there, you know, the questions that I think maybe you're starting to get at about, um, you know, white male privilege and sort of how designs begin to sort of accommodate that, um, are, are important. But I also think that the um, the need for uh, addressing the structural issues that provide that privilege is needs to get called out because that's. Um, that's not that's not necessarily something that shows up in design outcomes, but it's something that is about how one moves through the systems of architecture and design, um, you know, or moves just basically through culture in general about you know where those privileges afford uh, certain things and where they don't. Um, so in those cases, you know, changes like flexible um, a flexible workspace or a flexible office environment where. Uh, women can leave early or come er uh, leave early in the day to pick up children or come early or work from home on afternoon like those kinds of things actually help level the playing field in terms even though they seem like privileges for women um, in terms of the fact that they are able to participate within the sort of work life of an office um, through sort of times in their lives that may take them out of the office. Mm -hmm. But ju just to go back to this idea of uh, of architecture being in implementing those uh, those privilege uh, because architecture addresses bodies systematically because that's that's what <laughs> it, that's what it's made for it it just cannot ignore them so, because you were saying that it it might not be always visible but but basically it's all it's always there because it it, it has to take a stance. Uh, vis-a-vis uh, -vis those vis-a-vis uh, -vis bodies so uh, it will either reinforce when probably when mm -hmm. it's not really thought about it, that's that's what I call automat mm -hmm. automatisms mm -hmm. will will enforce themselves so in that case it will very much reinforce the statu quo and the system of domination that already exists but it can also it can also decide to maybe try something about it so that's that's where That's where the, the, the content itself, the, the creative work itself, could uh, maybe do something about it, which is extremely difficult to fight against those uh, those system of dominations. But uh, at, when you're not trying, you can be sure that you will reinforce <laughs> them for sure, right? And I think it's, you know, with things like that, it's about opening up a broader spectrum of aesthetics um, that are applied. I think a, a lot of... Uh, women architects and designers, um, you know, are are not necessarily, and this is this is way too broad of stroke, maybe to say, but they're um, the 
that there is a nuance to some of the work that is in terms of sort of texture or um, finish or light or something that there there are sort of embodied um, decorativeness in some of the women designers that I know um, that you know it's really difficult to talk about and then really difficult to sort of make an analysis or an argumentation for or argument for um, uh, that that isn't about something being you know pretty or soft but um, if that makes sense at all um, I, I don't know I mean what, what I'm thinking about is is more related to the I mean not so much related to the visual realm so maybe not as much related to aesthetics even though I think it's very much part of it as well but uh, something something as simple as I mean uh, it's it's kind of a, a dull example but that's that's really to show the, what, I, what I mean which is like the, the, the height of a chair for example the height of a chair is uh, much more appropriate for uh, an adult that is not, that finds itself not too far from the norm than for a kid or for uh, another mm-hmm. body that might not quite fit with the norm. So that, that's what I mean by mm, architecture I accommodates, the, I mean, accommodates I mean, privilege. A pri- privilege and, uh, and average as regulated. Mm-hmm. Um, that the, you know, the regulations that we have built within our sort of building practices are, are probably closer drivers uh, for um, for how these privileges play out than anything else at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I mean, we're we're talking we're talking here about maybe a way to have a, maybe a more voluntary voluntarily uh, political approach to architecture, uh, but this is something that we we can uh, we see. Um, it's a word we, we, we hear a lot, at least since 2008 and uh, the, the economic depression that, that uh, historically is recognized as, as, as something that triggers uh, social and political mm-hmm. questions uh, more easily. But uh, that, as I was saying earlier, I think there's also a series of simulacrum that um, the word polit- politics or political mm-hmm. might fall into quite often. And... and and by saying that, I don't mean I don't mean to be necessarily uh, uh, to to give uh, some uh, trials of intents to people who are were uh, uh, using the using this um, using this notion. And uh, I, I think we we all have to to look at ourselves and the way we 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 use uh, we use those ideas. But there there is, for example, in architecture right now a uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, I'm going to say trend, but trend is already a very biased, uh, a biased word to, to define, <laughs> to to def, uh, to be a trajectory. Trend, yeah. Uh, but yeah, trajectory exactly. So there is a, a pretty common trajectory right now in architectures that calls for a participative projects and uh, uh, a sort of uh, open, uh, open and democratic and horizontal uh, 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 contribution to a given design. Which are, I think, uh, incredibly fascinating when when it's really engaged fully and deeply with all the problems that it that it creates, and and obviously we we have a little book with Occupy Wall Street on the table. In Occupy Wall Street, we definitely saw the the problems that it might that might occur 
through something like uh, the the uh, consensus, for example. But so m maybe could you could you could you tell us a bit more uh, since you wrote about it uh, about what what those uh, notions of participative when when considered a little bit too lightly are mm. hiding in the architectural world. Well, I think this comes out of a piece I did called the Interventionist Toolkit. Um, and one of the things I argued for in that piece, which was really looking at, and, and this is sort of the short version, would be at tactical interventions. And I know intervention is can be a difficult term for people. But what I but that comes out of like a, a language of architecture and art where it is sort of like an in, like an installation, mm. um, not not out of sort of invading countries, um, but uh, but looking at these sort of small scale, often DIY, participatory, social, guerrilla um, actions uh, on the city, and I try to hold them. In a laundry, kind of this laundry list of things, because there's we are when we talk about them as just like tactical urbanism, um, we then miss a whole nother grouping, and also the fact that these are, I think, are fluid, um, sort of generally undefined, different kind, especially when they were happening in like 2008, 2009, 2010, um, after sort of the economic crisis and crash, and people were trying to figure out different ways of operating. Um, that the fluidity of definition of what these things were was gave a, a sort of an exciting sort of umbrella to look at these different kinds of practices. What has happened in the years since is that in the refinement of these kinds of practices, in, and especially around the nomenclature, um, into calling this stuff like tactical urbanism or participatory practice, Um, is that the outcomes have become narrow. Mm -hmm. um, and so I find myself critiquing um, less the practices on the whole um, and as sort of under the big tent, under the big umbrella uh, with all of these different names and these things that some of them succeeded, some of them failed, some of them were a mess. Um, we showed a whole bunch of them in the uh, 2012 BN uh, Architecture Biennale in the U.S. Pavilion under um, spontaneous interventions. But, like, these design actions, if we call them that, uh, have been sort of reduced um, to certain kinds of codified techniques, um, whether that is a, a pop-up retail store, which, you know, Chanel can do or Jay-Z does, Or a parklet, which um, the city of Los Angeles just issued its um, a parks program uh, call for proposals where there are very clear guidelines on how to make a parklet. So the experiment of a parklet that may have come out of parking day as a um, prankster act in order to sort of pro a provocative sort of way to sort of rethink your built environment. I was just in San Francisco. There's a very nice cafe on uh, Divisadero Street that now has three parking lots in front of it, uh, three parking spaces in front of it, now built out into a very beautiful teak uh, wood-framed parklet used for cafe seating, and only cafe seating. So, you know, what initially was about um, rethinking our built environment 
um, looking at what publicness is and how do you take back some public from the sort of from the urban realm and sort of hold it and use it and sort of spark new ideas for occupation in it um, are now becoming these very narrow, um, almost branded uh, pieces uh, that have actually, in a way, reduced um, civic participation. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if this does not come from the fact that um, all those projects are... Um, do not really embrace the, the problematic uh, uh, components of their, of, uh, in which they are uh, anchored. Uh, I was recently talking, about, uh, talking with uh, Mahmoud Kivarshaz uh, uh, about, um, s- uh, about their, um, the passport forgers, uh, and, um, and we kind of ended the conversation on the fact that um, the passport forgers or the, 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 the people who facilitate uh, 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 clandestine immigration in, uh, in Europe, for example, have uh, um, have a very problematic role because, like, they they usually they usually uh, um, uh, take advantage of their of their of the people that they are that are giving them money to mm-hmm. to have a to have a passport or to be uh, to be carried from uh, from North Africa to Europe uh, and um, but on the other hand, this character this figure was truly disrupting uh, uh, the systemic uh, systemic logics precisely because of that because mm-hmm. it's not it's not a figure of universal good like participation democracy openness uh, all those words that already carries in them some kind of universe some kind of universally recognized as being good and benevolent uh, I suppose that the fact that those words are already so much like that, that mm-hmm. it's, it's that's, bec- that's for this reason that uh, maybe a pop-up shop, a shop of Chanel can do the exact same thing. And, yeah. and uh, maybe if we were being a little bit more, a little bit more problematic, a little bit less uh, 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 already um, uh, embracing, or like, for example, the problem of violence, the problem of violence, we, we all want to be non-violent and it's, it's interesting, but is, I think, something like non-violence, for example, in the case of Gandhi, uh, makes a lot of sense because, uh, I mean, uh, it's, uh, I don't really like to quote Zizek so much, but uh, at, le- at least he says something very interesting in, in the fact that Gandhi had chosen non-violence just because he did not believe in violence, but just because he thought it was actually the most, uh, the, 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 the best tactic to, to, uh, to end with uh, colonialism. But same thing like always choosing nonviolence might not actually be the way to go because it's 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 already assuming too many things uh in as a as an axiom so yeah i mean i think this goes back to maybe this the the built-in privilege question mm-hmm. um i mean the words i extend like put on to participatory or social is i um, or ubiquitous i think is another one in terms of ubiquitous computing it's i like words like odd or weird mm-hmm. um and maybe this is because i you know come out of a certain background of like growing up in berkeley in in the 70s and 80s or you know sort of having affinities towards like punk rock and things like that but like 
the things that sort of do make the detournement that allow us mm -hmm. to sort of see behind the curtain um, in everyday life are important, that they don't necessarily have to be institutionalized, that, that, you know, that something provokes for that moment, allows us to sort of re-see our environment and then, um, and then falls away, um, is okay. Um, that the the temporal is is all right, um, and that that kind of practice um, ultimately sort of builds into the, the democratic because it allows everyone to sort of see what has uh, gone on rather than sort of um, a, a problematic of consensus where everyone is trying to agree. Like actually the. Um, you know, the competing multiple publics uh, is something that's always sort of resonated with me that within dialogue, within sort of argumentation is, um, are the sites where something really interesting can happen. Um, and that, those fric friction points um, are, are, are where like we can get sort of writing that goes deeper um, about and sort of like Rebecca Solnit's been doing all of this writing around the Google buses um, up in San Francisco, and you know by looking at points of friction, um, we can really understand ourselves culturally um, and sort of what's happening on other sides. But by not looking at those points of friction, um, we just sort of keep buying expensive coffee and toast and things like that. Mm. In in relationship of sort of the normative. The, the kind of the the normal the normalization of tactical methods, for me, come out of the out of a kind of privilege, um, a privileged middle class understanding of how one occupies the city, um, and those have certain sort of language. I guess kind of like how you're saying about architecture and having sort of the height of a chair. Um, for me, the normal normal occupation of a city based on a European model of um, cafe tables in a park um, seems a really odd choice um, not odd in a good way but odd in like kind of a um, narrow-minded sort of myopic way of implementing that in a place like Los Angeles mm -hmm. which is um, a, a city always known for its sort of like mashup of cultures and that that's sort of the exciting vibrant part of the city not about um, making it nice or good there's a lot there's a lot of initiatives to make cities good good cities or smart cities and better cities and every time that we get into a vocabulary of good or better I cringe because um not because I don't want cities to sort of evolve and sort of find sort of space, you know, better spaces of being, but because betterment, better for who? Mm -hmm. um, you know, mm -hmm. who gets to participate, to talk about participation, in that better space? Mm -hmm. um, well, because you've made a better space that now doesn't accommodate the homeless guy or seems alien to... Um, you know, sort of the housekeeper who can't necessarily afford to buy the cup of coffee that you need to apparently buy in order to sit in the apparently public space, mm -hmm. um, you have alienated it. Or maybe your group of people with that are, it's like a big family who wants to come sit somewhere and you've created a space made out of, you know, little chairs and little tables. 
and it does the, the architect sort of street furniture itself doesn't even accommodate um, different different ways of living. Hmm. Um, so that may have tangential on a little bit. <laughs> no, 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 that's perfect. But I might, I might, I might uh, transition a little bit abrupt, abruptly uh, now. But, and I'm thinking, um, I'm thinking uh, right now. I'm thinking of a of a specific audience that uh, uh, that I would, I'd like to talk to almost uh, more specifically, uh, namely the architecture students, because uh, they they have uh, uh, time to to think of those issues, but they're not uh, they're not so so often uh, uh, invited to do so. Mm. Uh, and and um, in one of the articles that you sent me, uh, there's there's uh, one specifically about another. Uh, trajectory that is that is taken quite quite usually by uh, um, architecture schools or exhibitions symposiums uh, all, all the kind of uh, 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 culture of uh, of the architectural scene and one of them is uh, is to speculate cities in their in their um, scenarios of a coming crisis and I love how you describe that as being uh, the equivalent of an extreme sport for architects, uh, and and how the architect seems to seems to, rather than actually uh, uh, engaging very strongly those issues that that are that are extremely uh, present, actually think of it as a, as almost like going to see a, a horror movie mm. in in cinema to kind of have a little bit of shivering, but not really engaging anything else. So. Could you describe us a little bit more of this uh, this trajectory? Mm -hmm. I think one of well, the, it, it's sort of funny because it's which crisis do we do, you know, do we address? Mm -hmm. There are so many crises um, ongoing at, at this point in time. Um, you know, from inequality to climate change to you know, like. Uh, to immigration, like it, it's like it's endless, and all of these sort of, you know, have huge amounts of news stories that are being done on them. Um, and for, say, a student or even a oftentimes something driven by a studio um, instructor, like these questions of crisis, like we're in this crisis, um, are tantalizing, right? They're they're a um, they're a condition that is larger than ourselves. Um, they are a way, you know, that is not sort of about making social good, which is its own sort of now its own fraction of design thinking is to, to design for social good. Um, but these crisis sort of moments that stir up um, to address them is to um, to in a way sort of oh we're going to use these as meditations on crisis rather than um rather than addressing exactly what's going on in in that site like so we can look at them at from a very you know very far up uh, we can get all the data on these things that are going on um we can make little you know little designs or sort of schemes or uh about what these things might be and that provokes really interesting geometries and think you know sort of uh, things and but we never really know what the stuff is is going all about mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, the um, the fire in Chile of the uh, the favelas in um, uh, Valparaiso recently mm. hit home as a crisis that kind of dropped. Um, it dropped out of the architecture discussion. Like, we, you know, we've been talking about favelas as a point of crisis and a really interesting research topic for um, for for architecture. Yeah, and but pa- it's been it's been mostly a fetish, more than anything else. Yeah, and... right. You've written about this yeah. quite a bit, but like, uh, then there is a the, the fetish happens, and you know, we've done all this stuff in and around favela chic and mm-hmm. all that, and then then a real crisis, the fire happens and wipes out entire neighborhoods. And there isn't a response from the architecture community about this. There, there isn't a a rally um, for let let's go make designs to that are resilient to this. So, in yes, yeah, so in a way, we are sort of watching the crises unfold um, to the point where they can give us enough fodder to make something. But that something is really is on the sort of level of the abstraction. Mm-hmm. And I, I suppose also one one uh, indicator is that architects are really not serious uh, with these topics is that in the context of, uh, for example, the Architecture Academy, uh, um, each studio that will decide to deal with crisis go back to scra- from scratch each each uh, new semester, right? Like so, it's it's not even it's not even trying to. If really people were serious about it, then you you would build from semester to semester a kind of uh, uh, precedent uh, uh, works that that students could could build upon uh, little by little and generation after generation. But this is this is, we're we're back to a kind of uh, a sort of consumption of uh, uh, of the assignment of of, of finding a. Finding one of those crises, do a little bit of research, propose uh, propose something uh, like a small uh, uh, so-called solution to the problem, and then uh, and then move to the next semester and uh, have the instructor going to do the same mm-hmm. thing the next semester, right? So uh, there's there's truly a sort of uh, 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 I mean there's a real issue here in in the impossibility to address any problems, anything else in, in the most shallow and vain and kind of uh, uh, complacent way. You know, and, I, and to be generous <laughs> around this subject, um, I think exposing students to these problems, even you know, for a semester, for whatever sort of paltry contribution that they can make, and I don't think they don't... I, I believe they take them, this stuff seriously, mm-hmm. But it is not. It is. But it is not. The depth is not there. It's not with. It's not within sort of the. Um, what one? What a research studio is. You know what the sixteen weeks. I mean, nothing can. You know, nothing significant can really make it out of a sixteen-week studio mm-hmm. like that. If anything, you're setting the stage for a body of research that may take place over the course of a year, over two years, like. Um, so in a way, the students are sort of tasked with something quite impossible um, to, to take on. So I can be critical of, of this kind of act of sort of uh, extreme sport, um, while also feeling um, compassion for the fact that, that you are taking on something more than what you 
what can be sort of addressed through the tools um, that are needing to needing to address it um, at, the, at this given time. So we still have a tiny bit of time in this conversation, maybe to to uh, uh, be a little bit less critical and a little bit more uh, constructivist in uh, in uh, things that we might see that are. Uh, uh, that could uh, help us being a little bit optimistic on, on what's uh, going on in the architectural world. Uh, is, there, is there a few people that you, you might think about that are right now producing something uh, interesting in kind of um, in, this, uh, in this work of depth rather than the shallow <laughs> one we've been describing so far? I think there, there, for me, there's two, maybe three practices um, where they're, they're going deeper, um, but their deeper isn't necessarily about deeper research. They're actually sort of better at embedding themselves within sort of the communities that they speak. Like the, there's a group called Toro Lab in Tijuana, um, Raul Canderas Asuna is the leader there. He's an architect. Um, but he actually acts more as an artist, um, an art practice um, and a social practice artist at that with a collective of people around him. Um, and they opened up a, um, a project that they did not design the architecture for, but they designed sort of the, the construct, the system, um, the platform for it happening um, called Farm Lab, and it's in um, Camino Verde, which is a informal settlement, a, you know, a, a, a favela in Tijuana of sorts that um, had been rife with um, narco action in the last few years, um, has cleaned up from that to a certain, to, to enough of a degree that they can insert this building, very basic building, has classrooms, a kitchen, computer lab. Um, and it is a building that had been lobbied for and created by Toro Lab with partnering with the city. So it's not just about um, actions that are sort of in protest um, to sort of governments, but working with a lot of different sort of institutional figures to get this thing involved. Um, and it's like a jobs education and a um, training facility. Um, that is comes out of an architecture and art practice. Um, so in, in in a way, it is a a piece that directly addresses need um, in in Tijuana. Um, that that is in a way very way uh, Raúl's reaction to um, to the kinds of speculative crisis-based projects that not only had he seen coming up around him, um, because they've been founded since the 90s, um, but also the kinds of work that he even produced as part of the collective, that they found they were already critiquing their own kind of uh, production, um, and that it has led to something that is um, kind of not particularly like art and not particularly architecture, but is a um, significant piece of social practice. So I think that that kind of work I find fascinating. Um, I also find that it has its limitations in the sense that it doesn't take on a formal character. Um, they weren't within the budget and sort of the time constraints, they weren't allowed to design anything. So what is designed is all 
um, systems, um, but not necessarily a, uh, a formal design. And this is the critique that is often le levied at social practice type work. And maybe within architecture, we can begin to address that and you know, sort of risk taking some sort of formal steps that one does not, that there isn't this constant divide between the formal and the informal. Um, I think someone who makes those sort of formal informal connections um, pretty well is someone like um, Madrid-based architect, but now he's in New York, um, Andres Hake, um, whose urban interactions, um, like the IKEA Dissidents project he did for MoMA, are based on serious research into the everyday and everyday life. And then those manifest as a kind of performance architecture um, that has a formal characteristic that um, conforms to certain kinds of sort of art and architecture aesthetics, um, but is bringing up dialogue around the built environment, which is often left out of architectural discourse. Um, and those things are like, well, what is the domestic? Um, you know, and, and can connections within the domestic um, and issues of the domestic make a kind of networked urbanism of its own? Um, and that, that for me is very exciting, that the fact that we can talk about urbanisms that are not just about sort of public space or sort of outdoor cityscape space, but are about these other kinds of connections that we have, you know, all are completely engaged in. Um, on, online or also just in our um, our daily actions that uh, you know like we, we are all um, we, we all have certain sort of routines and that those routines become something that link us together rather than um, the fact that we occupy a certain space a, a certain geography or in the city so I think those are really interesting and then um, AOC out of London um I've just very seriously taken on the topic of um, of that democratic pre-design process um, in, a, in a real way, um, in that they're building sort of the tools for how do you talk to communities, um, how do you how do you as an, uh, architects and designers um, negotiate those processes in you know sort of get information pulled out of people, and I think rather than making assumptions about what people need, um, that you begin to go and set up the platforms for deriving information and that these are new kinds of systems um, for doing so, that they're you know, sort of much more participatory in a very real way and account for difference rather than try to sort of bring everything together and make it sort of one synthetic, generic thing. And I think those, those kinds of practices which are addressing the fact that yes, we need to sort of systematize um, how we garner information in order to address audiences, but that that information is like super, super eccentric in itself, and that these extrinsicities—not even a word—the um, uh, are not um, are not diminished, but are actually sort of celebrated, uh, and that, and that for me is exciting. Those are the moments that I look for. Mm. Well, Mimi, thank you very much, and uh, I hope that uh, our conversation will have uh, maybe uh, uh, t tickles the brains of uh, a few a few people. <laughs> Is that tickle? No, a few. <laughs> tickle, tickle. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> thank you very much, Mimi. Thank you.